Let's open our Bibles to John chapter 7. Uh, before uh, we get into the study, I thought I, um, a couple of things. Number one, I think it's appropriate to uh, pray for what is going on around the world, particularly in Israel and, um, and with the Palestinians. Um, it is a, uh, obviously a, a terrible situation. Last week we did talk about uh, biblically how it all fits and the fact that the scripture says that Jerusalem, that God will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling with all, for all the nations. Actually, it's, Jesus said when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, realize that you look up because your redemption is near. You know, so it, it's a real, to me, it's, it's a real uh, measure, uh, but, but it, it, we should not be shocked by it. We should actually just realize, oh my goodness, this is what it's always been said that would happen, right? But nevertheless, there are real lives. It's not just uh, things uh, that are being said and things that we can sort of think, oh, wow, that's amazing, Bible. Uh, we're seeing the Bible being unfolded before our very eyes, but it is real lives, on both sides and it is good for us to pray you know it is good for us to pray for what's going on in Ukraine what's going on in in uh, in, in Israel what's going on with Armenia that was about to go to war and what's going on with uh, China possibly invading Taiwan we live in crazy times but listen we can't lose sight of this Jesus is still building his church. He's built it through every calamity on earth. Jesus has built his church. And I think this helps us to see that it's not a playground, it is a battleground. Okay, so let's pray. Father, we, we thank you, Lord, so much that you care about what's going on much more than we do. And that you are infinitely more wise than we are. And we ask, Father, for you to guide the hearts of men. I pray, Father, that you would uh, just, just help those kids on both sides. Pray for, uh, we pray, Lord, for uh, your, uh, you know, just wisdom in how to move forward. But most of all, Lord, we pray for hard hearts to be changed by the power of your gospel. That people would turn from hatred to love, from looking from an earth, for an earthly kingdom to yielding to your indestructible, eternal kingdom. And we pray, Father, that you would take um, just your truth there. And as people are panicking and as people are running, that they would turn to you and that you, when they cried to you from all nations that you would hear and that you would help. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Today, this morning, just on the subject of prayer, I got a, I got a message from uh, an artist in uh, Northern Ireland actually and uh, this morning, he always writes me things, and he says, he wrote me a quote by Teresa of Avila, 16th century Spain. The important thing in prayer is not to think much, but to love much. Isn't that amazing? And this morning, that we have a couple from Scotland, and they were here four years ago, and I shared about our situation with not, uh, the, the fact that we were not able to have children. Uh, and then we, we actually uh, did treatment and, and, uh, and then we ended up adopting Jonathan. And then, we, and, then, and then Jonathan wanted a little brother, Loretta's 42. And we just kind of thought, well, I said to Jonathan, unless you ask Jesus, you ain't getting a brother. And he prayed and then we got Arden. And to this morning, there was a couple from Scotland that said, remember us? Because they, when I shared that story, they came up and says, our daughter's 40-something and she is unable to have kids. And so we gathered and we prayed and today they shared the picture of their three-year-old granddaughter. Oh, I, can't I wanted them, 
I wanted them to come up and he says, if I cried in front of you, imagine what it's going to be like if I come up, you know. But listen, God is attentive. And we looked at a couple of weeks ago. He's not, he's not a magician. He's not a genie. He cares and he has wisdom. So we might not get exactly what we pray for when we pray for, but we can trust him that he cares for us. And I want to encourage you, don't think too much. Have you ever noticed how we're always thinking in prayer? We're always telling him how to do it. Lord, and do this and do that and do this and do that. And if you do this and if you do that, if you do that, that'll be perfect. No, no, no. Love him. Cast yourself to him and realize that he knows exactly how to move forward. I want to share something with you before we get into the study. I'm really, I, I hope I don't take too much, but I want to share something um, because this morning I was having a conversation and somebody said, um, somebody said to me, I think what we lack at church at times is vision. And I'm just like, my goodness. Uh, yes, I am. I, I, I just get focused. I am single-minded. And when I get up here, I'm not thinking about the vision of the whole church, about what God is doing in Mallorca. To be honest, I'm thinking about explaining this book. Because I believe that if you know this book and you know the God of this book and your lives are transformed, the whole island will be changed. You will be changed and out of your love for God and your sharing of this hope, this grace, this, the beauty of Jesus, that you will become infectious and that people will know Jesus. But it is true that sometimes I just fail to share things, not because there is no vision, but because I just don't have certain gifts. And I just don't even know. I mean, I'm so thankful for the people that it's bringing. I mean, Jessica, we made a leader coordinator. I'm just like, where have you been? All it's like, we didn't know we needed Jessica until Jessica showed up. <laughs> you know, and, but God is doing something. It's not just Jessica. God is bringing people and a team of people of tremendous gifts and it's almost overwhelming for me because of the vision that we do have that I don't even know how this whole thing fits together just last night I got a voice uh, a video call uh, from a pastor in California that I know really well and um, he's like I'm looking for a pastor in California they pay well. You know what? I just can't leave here. Do you know why I can't leave here? Because I believe God is doing something here. I've sacrificed my whole life. 20 years of my life. Because I believe that God is doing something here. I believe that God wants to take this to the next level. I remember when I first came to the island, we actually moved to the island not to start a church, not to pastor a church. We moved to the island because my 80-year-old grandmother who raised me was sick. And I just thought it cannot be that she took care of me and now she's here by herself, being taken care of by the government. And an aunt of mine. And when I got the phone call to ask, asking me to take over the church, at the beginning, we, I used to drive back and forth five days a week from Calarajada to, no, actually from Arta, but almost, from Arta to Santa Ponsa. And I just had this sense that every time that don't just think Santa Ponsa, God, and, and, and you know, Mallorca is known for a place for partying, but one day Mallorca will be known for a place where people come to worship me. Darling. You know, there are ministries that have come out of this church that are unbelievable. Street angels. 
out of somebody in the church and the faithful people in this church going out to Magaluf in the crazy hours of the night to take care of people that were drunk, that they might have been beaten by the prostitutes, and to get them home safely. Then Steffi thought, but what about the ladies? So Steffi on her heart, she's got to the desire to go. And now this whole summer, they just finished last week, but they went to Magaluf to the ladies. So there's not about choosing one camp or the other, but to the ladies to bring them the love of God, to help them to see how valuable they are to Jesus. The nursery. We started a nursery three years ago, do it right in the pandemic. We doubled the sanctuary, and when we doubled the sanctuary and we had 10 people here, I just thought to myself, great, we paid all this money for social distancing. <laughs> but the Lord had spoken to us as dig ditches. You will see neither rain nor clouds, but they will be filled, and here you are. The nursery, if I would tell you the testimonies, and we do sometimes of the kids, that are going home asking their parents to pray with them, of non-Christian parents signing that the kids will be taught the Bible. From all walks of life, even a Muslim family coming over. And you know what? I'm going to tell you about my week last week. I had 20 hours of conversations probably last week. Yeah, I, somebody took me aside and said, Raf, the next level is the school. Don't worry about the finances. I think I have somebody that will take care of that. And he said this, and this is the main part, not the finances. The main part was this. He says, I just want you to have confidence in it. And so then Monday, I got a phone call. No, sorry. Uh, the la last week, we had a man here, 76 years old, who is, to me, crazy. He's, um, he, 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 sorry, I, maybe it's a bad term, but he kicks my butt hiking. It's unbelievable how strong this guy is. And so he says, Raf, can we go for a walk in the mountains of Soyed? And we went for a 15-kilometer walk five hours, but not five hours flat, up and down mountains. And he said to me, the, he says to me, you know, remember last week the message was, if you thirst, come to me. You know, he who thirsts, let him come to me and torrents of living water will flow from within his heart. And we talk about being fulfilled in Jesus. And he just kind of opened up and he says, you know, I'm a little bit restless. I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm at rest with God, but I'm just a bit restless. And I said, listen, if you were restless telling me you want to explore the world, you want to leave your wife because she likes to do other things, and you want to get a girlfriend so you can go around the world, I would say, that's the wrong kind of restless. But if you tell me that you are restless because you're not done yet at 76, and you want to know what you still can do in the kingdom of God, then I think you're like Caleb when he was 84 and he says, I am as strong today as I was back then. Now, God, give me this mountain. And I said, and if that's the restlessness you have, that's really good. And I have a project for you. <laughs> and so we're there talking. He's like, what is that? I said, you know, we really have on our heart to do this school thing. And he says to me, well, um, well, he didn't tell me this. I actually looked it up afterwards. But he, he has um, an, uh, a medal from the Queen of England. He eradicated homelessness in his city. And he received um, Charity Leader of the Year in 2020. Now, I'm saying this to you, not because those things matter per se, but I think it qualifies what he offered himself to do. He says, I can write up the proposal, sir. I was just like, my goodness. 
So then that evening, I had a conversation with somebody else, and they said, well, you got to talk to this person. And then the next day, I talked to a friend of mine that now is at um, uh, oof, a university in uh, Waco, Texas, um, Bang, uh, I think Vanguard University. And he says, I've talked to my university about the possibility to come over, and, uh, and they'll send me out and see if the university can actually get involved. And then he connected me with a guy that started several schools in, um, in, Madrid, in Spain. And Gordon, who's here at the church, who uh, I've spoken as well, he's looking for headmasters in different parts of the world that would help us to put together a business plan. But listen, it's not for lack of vision. <laughs> and at church, my vision is to be... be um, it's, and this is why I don't talk about stuff like that, because at church, my primary goal is to allow a community to come together that is not interested in what they can get. I don't want anyone, I don't want the pressure to be financial. I don't want anyone to come through those doors and sit here and feel like they're being hit for money. We had a guy that was struggling with alcohol for years. He came here. We loved on him. He said, I'm going to do it myself. He left for a couple of years. He came back just a few, about eight months ago, he gave his life to the Lord right there because he knew they were interested in him. Then he came after having drunk, after having received the Lord. And you could see he was really struggling with his sunglasses on embarrassed and I looked at him and I said at least you came here today and we hugged him we prayed together and he just wrote me this here hold on hi Rafa Thanks again for the sermon yesterday. I can't wait to study it again online. I've been looking into and praying on doing an online theology degree as I feel that God is moving me in this direction. Though really unsure as to what. I do, I do know that all joy has left me for an industry I used to adore until I came back to the Lord. Now I spend every minute of my spare time studying the Bible, praying and watching online sermons. Or is this just new Christian fervor? Could I please seek your counsel once my boss has left on the 10th? Thank you. Praying for you. These are countless lives. Uh, this is just one example of what is happening. And we want to create an environment that is loving, that is truthful, that is humble, that is community, that accepts differences and we can have unity. But please understand, it's not because of a lack of vision. There's a lot going on. And you know what? It is time to use your gifting. I don't have it. I feel completely overwhelmed. I was telling somebody, I feel like all these things are happening and I have no idea what to do with it. I speak to certain people and I feel like a monkey. So if you have those giftings, and you want to catch on to all this, there's plenty areas to plug into. Because the truth is, look, look, um, Holly, raise your hand. That's another testimony. Holly used to come to the moms and tots when, his, when her little daughter was uh, a baby with Mark and Lizzie, who is now pastoring in Scotland. She used to come to the moms and tots. Then she meets Josh and Magaluf, gives her life to the Lord. Then she comes here and is a bit skeptical. Next thing you know, she's doing worship. And, and listen, I fed her five books. I fell her Matt, Matt Redman, The Gettys, I Coughlin, Wearsby. So she would get it from the perspective of hymns, from the perspective of songs, from the perspective of a pastor, from the perspective of a mature person. She's read all of them. And she's, she's, she's plugging in. And you know what? She worships. Bart worships. 
change lives. Please understand, I don't like putting things on show, but there's a lot going on. Pray for it. Plug into it. Rejoice in it. And I think we're going to look back one day and think to ourselves, my goodness, we're in the, we were in the middle of something very special. And our vision here at church is to introduce people to Jesus, to grow people in Jesus, and to help people grow into serving Jesus. So now to the study. <laughs> so, very briefly, if that's possible. I'm not going to read the passage. I think they'll put it up there, right? And I'll point to some scriptures. I, last week, we looked at chapter 7, and we looked at the fact that Jesus was at the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles when the priest would go to the Pool of Siloam, and they would, with these gold vases, they would actually... Um, go get them and then go through the water gate and, and, and then at the last day they would pour out this water right by the temple. And the, the Talmud says that you would, never, you would never experience true joy until you actually experience that event. It was such a joyful occasion. And it's no coincidence that Jesus stands there on the last day of the great feast and he says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me. Because he was the rock that was given him water in the wilderness. And he was the reality of the symbol of those vases being poured out in water. He is the one that doesn't give um, a physical fulfillment merely, not an emotional fulfillment, but a spiritual fulfillment in us. And we talked about the fact that sometimes as Christians, we can be sorrowful. That doesn't mean that we're happy, clappy people all the time. We can be sorrowful. We can have bad days. We can have sad days. We can have anxious days. But when you really think about it, the foundation of our hearts is pure joy. It's just joy. Or joy that seeks me through the pain, the hymn says. So that was the theme last week of this chapter. But here, the, the theme, there's other things going on in the chapter that I thought would be very good to notice. And, and you can watch this later or you can, it actually comes out next week. But um, in, in, in chapter 7, verse 1, it says, After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he did not want to walk in Judea because the Jews sought to kill him. So they sought to kill him. Notice verse 3. The brothers, his brothers therefore said to him, Depart from here and go into Judea that your disciples also may see the works that you are doing. For no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers did not believe him. Notice that there's the pressure of unbelief. Show yourself from his own family. His own family is not supporting Jesus. Notice verse 12, it says, And there was such a complaint among the people concerning him, and some said, He is good. Others said, No, on the contrary, he deceives people. Notice the slander here. He's good. And then the other ones, No, no, no. He deceives people. However, no one spoke openly of him for fear of the Jews. Notice verse 15, the Jews marveled, how does this man know letters having never studied? And what it means, having, how does he know letters having never studied? How does he speak the way he speaks, like, like if he had been trained in our universities? And of course, Jesus made everything. But they're wondering how, they're marveling. Others, again, a big accusation, this is the most painful one to me, verse 20, the people answered and said, you have a demon who is, who is seeking to kill you. I mean, can you imagine the Son of God comes from heaven to earth and some little, tiny, puny human 
says about the very precious Son of God, you have a demon. Who's seeking to kill you? Verse 25, some marveled, is this not he whom they seek to kill? Verse 26, a wondering question. Do the rulers know indeed that this is truly the Christ? Don't the rulers know that this is the Messiah? Notice verse 27. We know where this man is from, but when the Christ comes, no one knows where he's from. So he noticed the opinion. There's nothing in the Bible that tells us where the Messiah comes from. And we know that he was born in, uh, well, we know that he was raised in Nazareth and he worked as a carpenter. We know who his parents are. How in the world can he be the Messiah? Look at the great opinion. Notice verse 31. And many of the people believed in him and said, when the Christ come, will he do more signs than this man has done? And when they sent officers to arrest Jesus, the officers came back and said, uh, sorry, when they sent, yeah, uh, soldiers, the religious group sent soldiers to get Jesus, the, the, the soldiers came back and says, no one, no one ever spoke like this man speaks. Baffled. There's the confessions in verse 40. Therefore, well, many from the crowd, when they heard this saying, said, Truly, this is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, will the Christ come out of Galilee? Notice all the opinions. Listen, I mean, just, let's, let's draw some application here. It doesn't matter what people think of you. All that matters is how God sees you. Sometimes we are consumed with what people think of us. It doesn't matter. Jesus had a clear conscience with his father. And because he had a clear conscience with his father, he was able to have all those things said about him. And nothing shaked him from loving, from serving, and from giving his life. Even for those that have strange opinions about him. The questions, has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the seed of David and from the town of Bethlehem where David was? Verse 43, so there was a division among the people because of him. Then the downpullers. I mean, those are the ones that come and try to discourage others from believing. Have you ever had that? You're like, you're telling someone, man, I'm coming to know the Lord. And they said to you, that's a bunch of baloney. You're going into a sect. <laughs> And they said to them, are you also deceived? Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed them? In other words, we believe in the majority. No, no, we don't believe in the majority. We believe in truth. What's the truth? This crowd doesn't know the law that does not know the law is a curse. But listen, but there was a man called Nicodemus. And he says this, in contrast with all the opinions, he says, does our law judge a man before it hears him and knows what he is doing? So in other words, don't we need to research this person? Don't we need to give this person the benefit of the doubt before we just condemn them? And they all had an opinion about Jesus, but no one with their opinion, changed who Jesus was. Now, let's bring it to today. Isn't that the truth today? He's got a demon. He's a good teacher. He was a good man. You know, Jesus is great alongside Buddha, but not really God. And everybody seems to have an opinion. If you ever get into a conversation about Jesus, it's amazing how everybody's a philosopher. But everybody seems to be a believer. And then the new term is, I'm spiritual. I like Jesus and I'm spiritual. Listen, faith is more than a feeling and more than an experience. 
What do you mean by that? If God isn't real on the outside, objectively, then God is not real on the inside, subjectively. So in other words, they needed to know objectively who Jesus was, not what their feeling was about who Jesus was. We shouldn't be loyal. And this is what's happening when we think of Israel and, and, the, and the war there and the, and the religious wars that are going on in the world. We shouldn't be loyal to religious truth. We should be loyal to the truth, not religious truth, not bigoted truth. My question is not, what do I think the Bible says? My question is, what does the Bible say? Who is Jesus? And there are many times that I've had views, but the text, the very Bible itself must correct my views, not the other way around. And so I want to tell you about a man called Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel is a, uh, an apologist who was a journalist, and his wife became a Christian. And they were a renowned atheist family. And when his wife became a Christian, he says, no, we don't do that in this family. And then his little daughter said, Daddy, who is Jesus? And so he began an investigation in order to discredit who Jesus was. Or rather, what he not, not who Jesus was, because obviously that, that would be impossible, but what he wanted to do, he knew that the whole Christian faith pretty much stood on one fact, and it was the resurrection of Jesus. It's kind of like a deck of cards, like a, like a, have you ever tried to make a, a house of cards? You know, I used to do that when I was little, when I was uh, seven years old, as I would take the cards and I would, and I would, and, I would and, and it was so hard. And then somebody walks by and they get knocked over. You're like, oh my goodness. Well, he's like, if you can knock out the resurrection, the whole house falls apart. So secretly, unbeknown to his wife, he went on a quest to disprove the resurrection of Jesus. And he posed himself some questions because the resurrection is a central tenet of the Christian faith. If one can prove it didn't happen, the whole house of cards falls. And he asked, could the resurrection be an invention? And so he consulted an archaeologist turned priest. Then he asked himself, could it be a hoax? And he went and he had coffee with a biblical scholar. Could it be a mass hallucination that everybody sort of hallucinated that Jesus rose from the grave? So he spoke to a famous agnostic psychologist. Could Jesus have survived the crucifixion? And he, and he talked to a world-renowned uh, physician. And he realized that it's not about faith or no faith. That, that believing in God and believing in Jesus and believing the truth of the Bible is not about faith and no faith, that it's actually about solid faith and a faith that has no foundation. Everybody has faith. Everybody believes something. The question is, what's the foundation of it? Does it stand? Does it stand? Can you, can you, can you say this? I will follow the evidence wherever it leads and mean it. Or is it just, I believe what I believe and don't confuse me with facts. And to his surprise, the resurrection is more than a religious dogma, but it became a reality, a fact to wrestle with. When he went to um, the reliability of the testimonies. One of the people he went to visit said, have you ever wondered how all the gospels speak about how it was women that first testified of the resurrection of Jesus? And Lee Strobel said, absolutely. And that is exactly because in those days they didn't receive the, the statements of women. It wasn't valid. And he says, exactly. If they really wanted to lie about it, 
then they would have never used women in the text as giving witness. The psychosis, the psych the, when he went to the psychologist, he says, could, I mean, uh, could, could it just be psychosis? Could it just be a dream that everybody had? And the lady said, 500 people at one time having the same dream that Jesus rose will be more of a miracle than Jesus rising. He also researched the, the, the possibility that maybe he never died, like the Quran says. And he actually brought up that. He says, but the Quran says that he never died. He says, yes, but the Quran was written six, six centuries later. Six centuries later. And this doctor actually said, well, you know, you like facts. Well, here's the most important. He says, he, and I think we can put this quote up, the Journal of the American Me Medical Association has this in their journals. He says, on the physical death of Jesus, clearly the weight of the medical and historical evidence indicates that Jesus was dead before the, wo before the wound to his side was inflicted. Interpretations that state that Jesus did not die or appeared to be at odds with modern medical knowledge. In other words, when, when, um, when blood and water came out of his side, it just stated already that his, his heart had ruptured. Many people say, you know, that the Bible, the Bible has been, obviously it's, it's an ancient book. It's an ancient book, so therefore it's been changed since the time of Jesus. And the Old Testament has been changed since the time of Jesus. And, and listen to this. Look at this. Uh, I think we have another flight. I mean, uh, I don't want to get it. Well, look what it says there. It says, um, I mean, these are all the ancient books of, I'm going to walk away. It doesn't matter if the camera. But, but look at this. All the ancient writings that we have, whether it's Caesar, whether it's Levi, whether it's Plato, Tachicus, Plenty, the younger. Look, look at the. The time span, it says a thousand years between the, the original copy, a thousand years between the original copy and the copies we found. A thousand years in between. And we have 10 copies. Look at the Greek Bible, the Iliad, Homer, which is the one that has the most, written in 900 B.C., the earliest copy we have is 400 B.C., and in between the 500 years, now, we would all say, that's amazing. That's history. That's just that we, we, I love these things. These are information about the past and we can build on that. But the Bible, <laughs> look at the Bible, the New Testament. Written in between AD 50 and AD 100. Earliest copy, 125, 25 years time gap. Listen, 24,000 copies. It's an absolute contradiction to say that the Bible is not reliable while we say that other things that have less evidence is reliable. It's an absolute contradiction. And you say, but why is that? Imagine I preached a sermon today and it was written down. And then you guys at church, you say, oh my goodness, uh, I just love that message today, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna, uh, can I get a copy of it? And, I, and you copy my message, and then you copy my message, and then you copy, and we get a um, hundred copies today. And then you share it with people, and they make each a hundred copies of that. It's exponential, the amount of copies that are built. Listen, what's easy to do? to change one copy, the original? Because sometimes like, how do I know what the original say? What's easier to change, one copy, the original, or to try to find the 24,000 and change all of them? So to me, the fact that we don't have an original, but we have 24,000 copies, which I don't know if it says it there, but I have it here, um, which has 99.5 textually pure, 
99.5 textually pure. The fact we have 24,000 of those makes it the most reliable document in history. People said the Old Testament was corrupted until in 1947 or 48, there was a little boy called Muhammad who threw a rock into a cave by the Dead Sea. And as he heard that it hit of Oz, he says, oh my goodness, what's there? And unbeknown to him, he found a ton of manuscripts there that he didn't know what they were. And he took them and they realized that they had the writings of the uh, uh, sense people. And they had full copies of the book of Isaiah, of the book of Habakkuk. And they had pieces enough in their writings to come up with the whole Old Testament, which shows that the Bible from the time of Jesus, because they were buried from before the time of Jesus, until now, that they are immaculate, that they are exact, that they are biblically pure. Listen, C.S. Lewis said this, and the problem is, and, and you know, the, the problem that we have is more than reason. There's plenty of reasonable reasons to believe. The problem is more than reason. Look at C.S. Lewis. The ancient man approached God or even gods as the accused person approaches his judge. For modern man, the rules are quite reversed. He is the judge. God is in the dock. He is quite kindly judge. If God should have a reasonable defense for being the God who permits war, poverty, and disease, he is ready to listen to it. The trial may even end in God's acquittal. But the important thing is that man is on the bench and God is on the dock. So when you talk to people, many times the, 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 the challenge is people are accusing God. Who is God? And if God is real, then why is this happening? We're judging him. But, it, but the faith is reasonable, but the problem is deeper than reason. Reason can only take man so far. Man needs more. A changed perspective is not enough. You need to be renewed in the spirit. You need to re be renewed in the heart. In Matthew 28, 17, People who actually saw Jesus risen from the grave still doubt it. I mean, here you have a risen Jesus and you're still like, I'm not sure if this really happened. It's, it's more, it's a deeper problem. One needs a supernatural intervention. Ezekiel eleven nineteen, it says, Then I will give them one heart and I will put a new spirit within them and take the stony heart out of their flesh and give, and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes. Oh my goodness, guys. Maybe you're sitting here today. Your heart is hard. It's not just reason that's going to change that. It's going to be saying, God, Melt my heart and let my life be led wherever, wherever the evidence leads. Lord, reveal yourself and I will go wherever the evidence leads. And Jesus calls out their inconsistency. Remember, we're here in this situation because of a great problem. Remember, Jesus healed a man in chapter 5. And what was the problem? Was the problem that he healed a man? No, the problem was that he healed a man on the Sabbath. And, and, I'm, and I, in some ways, I'm talking about these inconsistencies of the things we say we believe. And, and then when it comes to the Bible, when it comes to Jesus, we think differently. But, but here, he calls out their inconsistency. He says, verse 23, Are you angry with me because I made a man completely well on the Sabbath? And then he says to them, if a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses should not be broken, are you angry with me? So he says, my goodness, on the Sabbath, you have no problem circumcising somebody. Is that not work? 
But if I do a healing, you can't even look to see if I'm the Messiah. And the other inconsistency we find is later on in verse 50, where Nicodemus says, does our law judge a man before it hears and knows what he's doing? And C.S. Lewis again said this, if Christianity is false, it is of no importance. But if it is true, there's nothing more important in the entire universe than this. And Lee Strobel went to his believing wife. He says, I just had to prove this whole thing wrong, but I couldn't. The evidence is more overwhelming that I could ever have imagined. And we're landing. John 20, 30, 31. Why did John write the book? And John says, And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that in believing you might have life, life in his name. I know that in this room, we all have an opinion of Jesus. Everybody. Everybody. Some of us as believers, but others of us, even as unbelievers, some of us have gone through pain. And we have a, a view of, of the Lord Jesus. And you know what? I'm here to say that your view of the Lord Jesus is not the most important thing. Your view of the Lord, the, your, the, what's the most important thing is that you build your life on the Jesus of the Bible. When I got married, we had, it was rough. It was not easy. Seven years of in some ways, hell on earth. Just two cultures adjusting to one another. Loretta's a new Christian and, and, the, and the pain she had been through, but it was a very difficult season. And I remember Loretta saying this to me, you're in love with your idea of me, not me. You are in love with your idea of me, not me. And I had to realign my life and say, you know what? I want to discover who you are, Loretta. And I think it's like that with the Lord. But the amazing thing, as you set your life realizing that there are evidence, it's like Jay Smith. Jay Smith is a, a pastor in, in, in All Souls. He, well, actually, he's an evangelist. He deals with mostly with Muslim, um, uh, just research and things like that. But he said to me, what we believe is true. And no matter how deep you dig, it will always be true. Listen, in Jesus, it is solid. It has foundation. You can dig. And some things are hard to understand. And I'm going to quote C.S. Lewis again. I'm sorry, I, I'm doing it a lot today. But I'm going to quote, when he talks about his conversion, he says this, because he was an atheist. And the day he converted, not to, athe not to Christianity, but to theism, he says how he, he was in his office and he just sends the relentless, just, I mean, just steady approach of that person which he so eagerly desired not to meet. He knew it did. And he says, but that day I gave my life and I heeded that God is God. And then he says, it's interesting that most people would probably receive a guy that comes in and says, hey, come, come on in to me. But who would receive a prodigal that is looking for a way of escape and doesn't want to come into, into meeting this person? And he says, what stands out to me in my life at the moment is the vast humility of God that he would take a man on such terms. And then he says this statement, the harshness of God is kinder than the softness of man. And his compulsion is our liberation. If you sense God 
pushing you towards him, calling to your heart, bringing you to read his word, drawing you to the son. Please understand, many people have opinions about Jesus and they would tell you, no, don't follow that. But listen, he is the true friend of humanity. No one loves like he loves. No one has plans for humanity like he has. And you will find your heart overwhelmed with forgiveness because of what he did for you at the cross, with love, with grace, with purpose, with future. And the point of this Sunday morning is, is let's not be people full of our own opinion. Humble ourselves and submit ourselves to what does the Bible say? Read today. Read a gospel. Read Luke. A historical document of who Jesus is. Read that. And you will see that he is beyond and above anything we could ask or think. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful, Lord, for um, your grace and love for us. Thank you that we're not sitting here believing in, in, in fairy tales, but what we believe on the inside is it's true on the outside. There's the archaeology, there's the manuscripts, there's so much evidence. And not to mention our own experience, Lord, of knowing you. And Father, I pray that you would continue to do a work among us, that you would reveal yourself to us, and that we would be introduced, that we would grow, and that we would serve you, Lord. What a wonderful thing to know you. And help us, Lord, not to be consumed with what people think of us. Bring us into a security of what you think of us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.